You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, uh, you can make your way to Philippians chapter 3. And if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, uh, page 981 is where you'll find today's text. You may or may not be uh, aware of this, but the Oscars are tonight. Maybe some fans of cinema in the room. Uh, I have to confess, I am not much of an award show guy. Uh, it's been many, many years since the, the last time I've watched the Oscars. And I don't think I've ever watched the Golden Globes, another award show. I don't think I've ever actually watched the Golden Globes. But one of my favorite celebrity moments of all time came in 2016 during the Golden Globes. Jim Carrey, relatively well-known actor, uh, Jim Carrey was presenting one of the awards that night, and as he was coming to the stage, the announcer said, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. And the audience applauded, and out came Jim, and he made his way up to the microphone, and he proceeded to say, thank you, I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey, getting some much-deserved shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream of being three-time Golden Globe award-winning actor, Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. Then it would finally be true. And you can, the audience is like, he's such a, he delivers this obviously so much better than, than I do. So feel free to watch it on YouTube at another juncture to get the full effect. But he, the audience is laughing along with him, but nervously, like hilariously and nervously at the same time. And he says, then it would be true. I could stop this terrible search for what I know wouldn't fulfill me. And then he said, but these are important, these awards. These are important. And he goes on to present the award for, for best comedy movie for the year. Okay. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Here's a guy who has achieved at the, at the highest level of his craft. He's received two of the very awards that he's presenting that night, and he's saying in a funny way, but really pointedly, this means nothing. This means nothing. To a room full of people, many of whom are actually hoping to go home that night with one of these awards in their hand, he's saying, this is not the win you think it is. This is not the win you think it is, it might actually even be a loss. Because if you get it, you might actually realize how empty you really are. It's kind of like what the Apostle Paul is going to say to the Philippians in today's text. After briefly calling them to rejoice, he takes a a chapter-long diversion. He's going to come back in chapter 4 to talking about rejoicing, but in the meantime, he needs to warn the Philippians about the false teaching of a group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a Jewish background group of Christians. Uh, They insisted, though, that for Gentiles, for non-Jewish people to become Christians, they also had to adhere to Jewish law. And there are lots of examples of that, but maybe the most well-known one, what's mentioned here, is circumcision, the ceremonial law of circumcision. Paul has confrontations with the Judaizers in 
many different places and over many different years during his missionary travels. Uh, The book of Galatians is maybe the most famous of his confrontations. And so if you're reading through the New Testament with us this year, we're in Galatians right now, and you can hear maybe Paul's confrontation with them there. But the Judaizers are in this city too. They're in Philippi. And they are teaching a different message, which is not good news at all. The Judaizers are confident that they are the true people of God, that they're the real deal. But their confidence, as we're going to hear in just a moment, is all about them. It's all about their family line. It's all about their own efforts. And Paul is going to say, yours is a counterfeit confidence. He's going to say, I've played this game. And not only have I played it, I've won the game that you're describing. But it was actually a loss. In fact, in this game, even the winners lose. But then Paul's going to say, there's actually a better way. There's actually a better way than this. So I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. This is Philippians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, and the word there actually means siblings, so you could say, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray for us. Father, help us even now in this moment to know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. Help us now to know the immeasurable greatness of your power at work within us. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is, uh, in my humble opinion, one of the most magnificent texts in all of the New Testament, let alone this letter to the church in Philippi. It's deeply theological and it's deeply personal at exactly the same time. It's It's a polemic against false teaching, but at the very same time, it's an invitation to see there's a, a, a better and a more beautiful way. And so let's look at two things in this passage. Let's look at sources of counterfeit confidence, and then let's look at the source of genuine confidence. Counterfeit confidence, genuine confidence. So first, sources of counterfeit confidence. 
Starting there in verse 2, Paul warns the Philippians about the false teaching that they're experiencing, and he uses some really strong and actually some really ironic words. Dogs was a derogatory term that the Jewish people would use to put down non-Jewish people or Gentiles. But Paul actually flips that around. He calls the Judaizers, the Jewish men and women, he calls them dogs. He also calls them evildoers. The ones who are insisting that, that everybody needs to keep the law, they're actually the ones doing evil. And then most scathing, he refers to their insistence on circumcision as, quote, mutilating the flesh. Mutilating the flesh. See, see Jesus has brought, has brought about this great reversal. The things that used to count as assets are now actually liabilities. The, these sources of pride, the things that the Jewish people look to to differentiate themselves and say, we are the real, genuine people of God. It's now becoming evidence that they don't belong to God at all. Paul says, your circumcision, Judaizers, is just flesh mutilation. We are the circumcision. We are the real people of God. Why? Because we worship by the Spirit of God. Because we don't boast in ourselves, we glory in Jesus. Because we've stopped putting our confidence in the flesh, in the things that, in who we are and in the things that we're able to do. If you know anything about Paul and his life and his story, you know he's not criticizing the Judaizers as an outsider. You know how outsiders can sometimes criticize something because they don't actually really know what it's like on the inside, or maybe even they can't really live up to that standard? like a blogger criticizing a sports team for how bad they are. But, but they're not very good at sports either, or they'd be playing themselves, right? They're sitting on a couch somewhere telling the professional athletes why they're not any good. It's different when it's an insider who brings the criticism. So if I were to say, for example, hey, you know what? Winning Golden Globe Awards, it's empty. It means nothing. You'd be like, okay, maybe. But when two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey says it's empty... That means something more, right? Does it not? So Paul says, the Judaizers are way off base here. They are way off base. But if that's the game they want to play, and Philippians, if that's the game you now maybe want to play, you should know I've already played it. And I actually won. I won. And if you want to talk about reasons for confidence, here's my resume. And he proceeds to rattle off a number of sources of counterfeit confidence. What are they? What are they? Well, the first four are all about his identity and his pedigree. And he says, in essence, I'm a purebred Jewish man. I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's what God told Abraham to do for all the male descendants of his family line. That happened for Paul. He's of the people of Israel. So he's not a Gentile who converted. He's, he can trace his family line all the way back to Abraham. What's more, he's of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the original 12 tribes of Israel, and one of only two tribes that remained faithful to King David and King David's line when the kingdom split. But even before David, who was Israel's first king? Saul. Does anyone remember what tribe Saul was from? Benjamin. Benjamin. And, and what, was Saul, what was Paul's given name before he started hanging out with Gentiles? His name was Saul. He's a namesake of King Saul. And he's saying, as he says here, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. That's kind of a summary phrase to mean I am the real deal. I am the real deal. Now, the particulars are different, but identity and pedigree can become counterfeit sources of confidence for us. 
Two, do you take confidence in the family you were born into? Were you born into the right family? Maybe even you went to the right kind of churches. You were the right kind of Christian, if that's part of your story growing up that way. Or maybe you have family money and you take some confidence in that. Maybe you were given opportunities for a really high-quality education and you take confidence in that. All of those things can quickly become counterfeit sources of confidence for you and me. As can the things that Paul goes on to mention next. See, these first things were true about Paul before he did a thing. They were just part of the family he was born into. But he also chose to live this way. He became, as he says here, a Pharisee, the most elite and strict subset of Jewish leaders, the most disciplined and the hardest working and the ones that set the highest bar for themselves. Likewise, you and I can look to our own discipline or our own hard work, our own work ethic as a source of counterfeit confidence. Or next, as Paul says in verse 6, zeal. He was all in on the Hebrew Pharisee way of life. He wasn't nominal. You could say it that way. He wasn't nominal. He was so convinced he was right. He was so passionate about that that he actually persecuted followers of Jesus. He tried to destroy the church. So maybe you find confidence in something similar, in your passion, in your motivation, your zeal. Maybe sometimes you step back and you start to think, man, everybody around me is wishy-washy and half-hearted. Not me, though. I'm an all-in kind of person. I only do things at one speed, and it's all in. I'm better than people that don't do that. Or maybe it's your morality. Paul says next, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. It's not, he's not saying that he never sinned. He's saying, though, that he kept the law. All of those external, observable commandments, in all of those things, he was exemplary. He was exemplary. And maybe that's become your source of confidence too, that you're a good person. Got to even hear that maybe a little bit in some of the snapshots people shared a little while ago, that you're a good person, that you live an exemplary life, that you're not, you know, you're not a drain on society like those people over there. You're a contributor. That was me in high school, through and through. I I was the guy that, you know, looked at people who did the bad things that high schoolers do and said, I'm better than that. I'm a moral person. I'm trying to be a Christian. Now, I envied it. It looked pretty fun and appealing. I wasn't really convinced that Jesus was more satisfying than those things. But I would say, I'm better than you. I can actually keep the rules as you're supposed to, unlike all of you bad people. So pedigree, hard work, zeal, morality, these are sources of counterfeit confidence. And Paul has just thrown down the gauntlet here. He said, by the game you're playing, I am better than you. I'm a spiritual Superman, and it's all garbage. It's all garbage, rubbish. And the actual word there in verse 8, it's actually an expletive that means excrement. So we might say bullcrap. It's all bullcrap. Or if you're feeling edgy, you might drop the S word in there. You might. I mean, I'm a moral upstanding person. I'm better than you. I would never do such a thing. But you might. You might do that. See, all of this confidence means absolutely nothing. This is a game where even the winners lose. That's what Paul's saying. And Paul has climbed to the very top of this ladder only to now realize that it's been leaning against the wrong building the whole time. Friends, what counterfeit sources of confidence are you still looking to? What are you using to differentiate yourself from other people 
to boast? Or even more, what are you pointing to in your own life as a reason for why God owes you something? For why God owes you comfort and peace and prosperity in your life? For why God even owes you heaven, eternal life? There are great gifts to be found in pedigree, in hard work, in zeal, and in living a morally exemplary life. There is great things in that. But as a source of confidence before the Almighty God, these are liabilities, not assets. These are rubbish. These are rubbish. As Isaiah put it centuries earlier, all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. They cannot earn us forgiveness. They cannot earn us favor with God. And in comparison with other people, think about this. In comparison with other people, the only power these things have is to make us first place finishers in a game everybody loses. So men and women, stop playing a game that you nor anyone else can win. Stop baiting others into a game that nobody wins. Because as Paul has learned in some really painful and powerful ways, there is an infinitely better source of confidence before God. There is, second, a source of genuine confidence. Look again there at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's accounting, his ledger, so to speak, has undergone a complete reversal. The gains, the gains column, he's erased the header gains and he's written instead losses over that column. It'd be a little bit like if you owned 125,000, if you owed $125,000 on a $150,000 house at the start of 2008. At that point, it's an asset. But fast forward to the end of 2008 when you still owe about $125,000. Now the house is only worth $100,000. It's not really an asset anymore. I mean, your accountant might classify it that way, but it's completely changed how you look at it. And we actually even have a specific name for this scenario when this happens in a mortgage. It's called being what? Upside down. Upside down. Jesus has flipped Paul's perspective, truly, upside down. And he counts not just his pedigree and his zeal and his morality, but as he says, everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. He has given up all of those gains. And think about the years of hard work and discipline that represented for Paul. I mean, he trained for years to become a Pharisee, and then he was exemplary as a Pharisee. Think about the, what he was giving up. That's why he says here, he suffered the loss, because this was a very costly turnaround for Paul. And it always is. It always is for us. But Paul cannot do anything but this. He has become the man that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 13. He's become the man who found the treasure buried in a field and in his joy ran and sold everything else he had in order to buy that field. He's that merchant in search of the the one pearl of great value who on finding it parts with everything else he has to get the pearl. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, to the Judaizers, Jesus is that treasure. Jesus is that pearl. And I have parted with everything else. I count all of it loss in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He doesn't leave us then wondering what that means. What does it mean to gain Christ? I mentioned earlier, this is not just a personally moving text, but it's theologically rich. And Paul proceeds there in verses 9 through 11 to unpack what it means to gain Christ and to be found in him. It means, first of all, verse 9, justification. 
You can't gain righteousness from God on your own. Your hard work and your zeal and your morality cannot declare you innocent in God's courtroom. That's the picture of justification. It's the courtroom picture. And these things, these counterfeit sources cannot declare you innocent, but Jesus can. And there is a righteousness, as Paul writes, that comes from God. It doesn't depend on our efforts and our work and our pedigree. It depends on what? On faith. It's a righteousness that Jesus has purchased for you by his perfect life and by his substitutionary death and by his victorious resurrection from the grave. And so when you trust in Jesus and his work, you then have every reason for confidence before God because it's Jesus' righteousness that now counts on your behalf. To gain Christ also means, verse 10, sanctification. The ongoing process of, as Paul puts it, becoming like him, becoming like Jesus. And note here that this involves both death and resurrection. It's knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection, and it's becoming like Jesus in his death. It's carrying our own cross as we follow him. Part of the new identity that we're given when we become Christians is that we have died and we have been raised with Christ. And you got to see a really tangible picture of that not that many moments ago when Darren was baptized. It's a positional change that takes place. We were dead and now we're raised to new life. It's a fixed part of our identity. But in addition, your whole life as a Christian will be cycles of dying and rising with Jesus over and over again. You will over and over again die to sin, die to self, and you will rise. I love how Christina put it in her snapshot. The Christian life is both growth and struggle. You will die and you will rise and you will do that over and over again. If that's part of your life and your story, be encouraged. That's not stagnation in your life. That's progress. That's progress of every day dying and rising again with Jesus. Let it fuel confidence that you really are united with him, that you are really found in Jesus. I find it really incredible here that Paul says, that I may know him, in verse 10, that I may know him. This is, give or take, 30 years after he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Three decades of the most sold-out kind of faith the Christianity that the world has ever seen. And he says, man, I want to know Jesus. I really would like to know Jesus. If that does not convince you this is a process that will take your whole life, that Paul would say that after 30 years of the kind of life Paul lived as a Christian, then I don't know anything else would convince you of that. And then verse 11, to gain Christ to be found in him means glorification. Not only justification and sanctification, but glorification. That process of sanctification has an end date. Thank God. (laughs) Thank God. It has an end date. And it concludes with our own resurrection, with our own new and perfected body, but more importantly, a perfected life that we get to enjoy with Jesus forever. Paul Paul has every confidence that he's going to get there. Just as he has every confidence that Jesus is going to bring to completion the good work he has begun in the Philippians. If you remember back to chapter 1, that's the confidence he has for these men and women in Philippi. But Christian hope, Christian confidence is never presumption. It's never us presuming that God owes us something or that it's automatically just going to happen. 
And so Paul says there in verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain it. Here's Paul 30 years into his walk with Jesus, giving everything in his life for the sake of Jesus. And he says, please let me make it. Oh man, I hope I get there. Or maybe as we would sing in the song, Be That My Vision, may I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Please let me make it. Christian, you will. You will. If you will count as loss all of the counterfeit sources, and if you will look instead to Jesus, the genuine source, take heart this morning. You are justified, and you are being sanctified, and you will be glorified. The one who called you is faithful. He will bring to completion that good work he has begun. So like Paul, like Paul, let us never presume. Let us press on with genuine confidence. Let us discover, even today, discover and rediscover what Paul writes there in verse 8, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. Nothing else compares to him. And so many of us, even those of us who consider ourselves to be Christians, We waste away our days building these long resumes of counterfeit confidence. We waste our days doing that, unconvinced, unconvinced, not only that Jesus alone can save, but that Jesus alone can satisfy. But we will follow Jesus only to the extent that we are convinced of his surpassing worth, that nothing else compares. That's the difference between a a Christian in name and a Christian in practice. And so today, men and women, abandon every source of counterfeit confidence. Rely instead on the work of Jesus. By giving up this game that nobody wins, you truly gain everything. You gain everything. So may you lose everything else and gain Christ. May you count everything else rubbish by comparison. May you become convinced of and then consumed by the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you for making this truth real to us in Jesus Christ. Forgive us for the resumes we build with all of these sources of counterfeit confidence. Help us to count them all as loss compared to Jesus. Even now as we prepare to come to your table to see the cost of your sacrifice, to see the righteousness that you accomplished for us by your body broken and your blood shed. May you renew us in the grace that you have offered us. May we even today renounce these counterfeit sources of confidence and may we stake our lives, may we hang all of our lives on the only genuine source, which is you, Jesus. We look forward to the day that you will complete this work of sanctification and bring about our glorification. May we reach that day. May you come soon. But as we come to this table today, may we now feast again on your finished work. May you meet us with your grace. We pray, Jesus, all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.